I will never forget. I have it on video. He wags his finger in front of their face, you know, and he wasn't feeling great at the time. And he was back in his recliner. He wags his finger and he says, this is not about you. Hi, I'm Tanya, and you're listening to Episode 8 of Human and Holy, a podcast by The Tanya Project where we discuss spiritual ideas in human terms. Today's episode is sponsored by Yankee and Sterney Bell in honor of the host and guests of the podcast. Thank you so much. To sponsor an episode or become a supporter on Patreon, please reach out at humanandholy at gmail.com. In today's episode, I interview Hindle Swerdlove, who, if you know her, <laughs> is just so full of life and wisdom and joy, and I'm just so excited to share our conversation with you. Hindle speaks about the deepest type of self-confidence, the self-confidence that's born of the soul and its connection to God. When we make it less about us and more about our God-given mission, we are empowered to do hard things and to maximize our soul's potential. If you have ever struggled in pushing yourself to do something outside of your comfort zone because you thought you might be good at it or God might want you to try it or maybe you could make a difference, then I think this episode will give you profound strength and courage in continuing to push that comfort zone just a little bit and fully stepping into your soul's greatness. Hi, Hindle. <laughs> Thanks so much for Whoa. being here. Hi. Can you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself? Gosh, that's usually the easiest, but not like in one foot. But yeah, I think a big part of who I am is I was born religious as, you know, into a family of Chabad Shluchim in Los Angeles. And I have been married now for 24 years and living in Israel. So although I lived in LA the first 18 years of my life, with a few years in between, you know, in New York, I did a year in Australia. So now I'm, I've been in Israel for that long, seven children later, happy married Baruch Hashem living over here. That's kind of like the, the next part of me after the early youth part. I still feel like we're almost on vacation because we live here. And I don't know, Israel has that vibe that like everything is new and exciting every day. You've lived it, so you know it. I teach in Mayanot and I teach at Oria Seminary. And uh, between the newly wanting to become more religious girls and then Oria's religious girls, you know, it opens my mind every day to new things. And that's pretty much how it's going right now. You work with the youth and you are so young, like so young spirited. Yeah. I know. And then I'm surprised when they say, oh, well, we're going to do this. And I'm thinking, well, am I not part of the we? But no, I'm not. I'm 46 <laughs> and they're 19. <laughs> I'm not invited to your parties. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's really funny. Okay. Introduce us to the topic that you're going to okay. be sharing with us today. When you ask me to say, you know, what do you appreciate? What do you enjoy? What do you live with? I really thought about this idea of confidence because I also know that you're into the Chachma Bina Das, as we all are, as we want to know more. I think that really only since I'm 40 years old have I gotten more into this whole idea of, you know, because they say you come into Bina and understanding when you're 40. And that's not to say I haven't been learning the 20 years before that. But it was like an awareness to me that I do have capabilities that are opening and broader and more available to me and I can tap into it. It's probably also reality that my, you know, my youngest is now six. And since I'm 46, from the age of 40, I actually had a little bit more time to do all that. I like this idea of confidence because I see it nonstop with myself and I see it with students. Everyone's talking about it. Is that how can you be your best self? And I know that whenever I am my best self, it's because I went out of my comfort zone to try and be successful at something that I felt like I couldn't master at all. I'm not saying now I'm a master at anything, but I'm at least a wannabe for everything. I think that it was a push of confidence that got me to anything that I've done successfully. It's because I tried it. And there was this backbone in me that does have a confidence that needs to get pushed every now and then. And I just feel like, you know, let, let's talk about that. Okay. First of all, I just want to say how refreshing it is to hear someone say from the age of 40 to 46, that's when like I really started to explore <laughs> this. 
Seriously. That might, so, might impress some people. Oh my gosh. I love it. Cause okay. I think, I mean, as a mother personally, I find it to be really encouraging that at the age of 40, you're taking like a hard new look at yourself and seeing in what areas could you grow? Where could you push yourself? Do things you weren't yet good at? I'd love to hear what sources in Torah you look to for strength and guidance in looking for this confidence. So let me go back to before the 40, when I was 22 and married and moved to Israel, my father told me, you got to go study. And I was like, what? I've been studying all my life. Now it's like my break time. And he said, no, you have to learn Hasidus. You have to learn Torah because if you want to grow as a human being, you have to learn it. And so I started going to classes. And as I had each child, I had a child and babysitter. And then I would go and take a day of the week and learn at Or Hayat, an Israeli program here that teaches women. Wow. And, um, and then whenever a speaker came to town, I would follow them around like a puppy. So I have notebooks and notebooks of notes that I've learned from 20 to 40. But I wow. think that until I was 40, I didn't internalize like, oh, it's not just fascinating information. It's get cracking. You got to work on this. Now you see the full picture. And it was like, oh, you mean me? So you consciously try to make room for whatever you're learning in your life and incorporate it. It's literally a work of consciousness and you have to work on it. And so that's how that happened. But the sources that I actually, I would like, I'd like to start with one, just saying that I started going to Rabbi Yitzchak Ginzburg's school in Israel. It's called Torah Tanefesh. I have the most amazing teachers from there. Rabbi Yitzchak Ginzburg is a Kabbalist and he's a Hasid of the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And so he infuses most of his Torah and psychology because his school is Torah Tanefesh. It's based on Torah and psychology. It's based on a lot of Chabad Hasidus and also the Baal Shem Tov's Hasidus. From everything that I've been learning in Chabad Hasidus all these years, it takes it from the Baal Shem Tov's point of view and it brings it into a day-to-day life because he really was for the simple folk. So I could put myself right in that category. I'm very comfortable <laughs> right there. He really took these people that were like farmers and just simple-minded people and said, well, here's Torah on your level. You can do it. I don't care if you're working the field or if whatever they were doing at that time, washing the laundry. I don't know baking bread. I knew that I could understand from this point of Torah and psychology that it could be very relevant to me for me to work on myself. Rabbi Ganut, who's one of my favorite teachers from Torah Hanefesh, along with Miriam Rhodes, my amazing teacher for so many years, he taught Bitru Hashem Adead, Bia Hashem Tzoralomim. So this is a Pusik from Yeshayahu 26, Pusik number four, Dalit. And he brings the Zohar's point of view on what Yeshayahu was talking about. Yeshayahu was a prophet. He was a Navi at the time. And obviously all the prophets are there to tell the Jews how to act better so that God doesn't have to punish. And he was there to give them confidence and say, hey, step up. You know, you, you have a God here. Why are you misbehaving? We're trying to get the third temple going on here. So he's really giving us this little boost to say, you've got this. In this, you've got this. We learn that this whole concept of it's not about you. And I know that my father really raised us with, it's not about you. When the world becomes about me, I so take over the whole space around me that it's hard for me to allow other things in, whether it's spirituality or other relationships or other ideas, because it's really all about me. So if it's not working 100% for me, then I'm not putting myself forward. And so this level of confidence comes from if it's not about me and it's about what I can do outside of me. Well, then if it's not about me, then I'm not scared to try. My fears go away. My anxiety goes away. I can be larger in life and allow other people in and do more work and not be so scared of being a failure, you know, all those things. So this whole idea of is really trusting in God. And the Zohar tells us that Adayat is actually a place. And it's like where the Orion Sofer, God's eternal light lives. If he's saying in the Pasuk, Bitru Hashem, Ayat is really trust in Hashem because he is your rock for everything. We know he's infinite, but let's talk about infinite as a place. So if he's Adayad, then go to that place of infinite light. Mm. Isn't that, oh, isn't it gorgeous? Ah, so beautiful. like, yes, this is life giving. And literally when we talk about this place of trust in Hashem, because that is your lifeline. So if I can give a little visual here. If God is Adayad, right? If Ad is a place, this lifeline, and that's where his infinite light rests. So imagine like up in heaven, there's this light and that's all God. And there's a direct line that's coming down to me. I can hang on that line or give a little tug and whatever time I want, I'm that connected. I'm just that rope down here. 
So of course, life has challenges and there's financial stresses and we know that there are deaths. I mean, you name it, everyone's got their challenge. They can list you a hundred on one foot. So if I start going to different areas of different parts of my life and I start to lose track or focus of why I'm so fabulous that God wanted me here, I could go back to that place that says, let me just hang on to that rope and go back to the source, to the foundation of why am I here? So if I ask myself, why am I here? Then that's an easy question. Well, God created the world so that he can have a dwelling place down here. And really, like we know, he created the light on the first day, but there was nothing else there. So why did we need light? You know, and he created light. And then Rashi tells us he put the light away because he wants a relationship with us. So we are here. What is my mission statement in life? This is where the confidence comes from. I am here because I am important to God. God needs me. If God needs me, then there's a mission that only Hindle Swordlove can do. So if I'm ever getting off track, I could just hang on that little rope, give a little tug and get back balanced and align myself with what God has in line for me. So it's really life giving to know that like, oh my God, I am amazing. And I think that inherent in what you're saying is this, like such a profound point, which is that in stepping outside of yourself, you come into your fullest self and your fullest potential. So you can't fully like embody your greatness if you're not aware that it's not about your greatness, but about the infinite light and place that you're connected to. Yeah, I know. That's beautiful. So a quick example on that is like, I was with my boys in LA a couple years back and my father, he was conducting a Seder, a public Seder, like he always did. It'll be his fourth year at site coming up on Monday. So he told my boys, they were young at the time, they were probably 15, 13 and 11. And he said, I want you to read in front of the crowd of 300. You're Israeli boys. It's very exciting for the crowd to see boys that live in Israel come and do the Seder. So I want you to read from the Machser and I want you to belt it out loud in Hebrew (laughs) that the people can love it. And my boys looked at him like he was crazy. They're like, there's no way, (laughs) pop up. And he's like, nope, I will never forget. I have it on video. He wags his finger in front of their face, you know, and he wasn't feeling great at the time. And he was back in his recliner. He wags his finger and he says, this is not about you. And they all paused for a minute and they got it. And they said, you're right. Because if it was about me, I'd be embarrassed. And what do I look like? And I I don't read so well. No, this is about the people that are coming to hear about Hashem. And so you have a choice. And if you have a talent, that you know is specific to you, don't tell me that, oh, I'm not good enough or I'll be a hypocrite because I'm not fully into that. No, no, there's no hypocrisy here. Do what you can as best as you can because you're the only one that can do it. I really go back to that place of, you know, my self-confident is really dependent on having faith in God. And it goes hand in hand and it's not one before the other. It's literally, you have to have faith that God is good If you have faith that God is good, you can find self-confidence in yourself because if he's all good and he wants me here because that's how important I am, then my self-worth just went up like a billion percent and then I can do whatever I try to do. I might not be great at it, but I'm going to try. This is so beautiful to me, that idea of it's not about you because often what holds us back is playing in our minds, either what other people are thinking or how we're going to fail or how we're not good enough. Making it not about you completely shifts the entire perspective. It's not about you. It's about your God-given mission. And when it's about your God-given mission, like that story of your boys at the Seder just hits the note, you know? I... We all know that feeling. Like, yes. We yes. want to get up. We don't want to, you know, share. We don't want to like, it's not me. I don't want to belt out the words in Hebrew. Right. It's not about you. And we're the only ones that do that to ourselves. God sees you as a perfect soul. He gives you a part of himself in you. So when you're born, you know, we're just that dot that comes down. So when we talk about this adaya, this place from trusting in Hashem up there, and then we're the lifeline down here. So our perfect soul is that little dot. We have absolute faith and absolute trust when we are born. And then that kind of fizzles during different circumstances or experiences that we have in life. So we always have to get back to that dot. But what happens when we, you know, we're faced with something that's very difficult and our mind starts messing with us and saying, oh, well, you're more important than that. You deserve more. Like, no, you don't. You deserve greatness. But if God is good, then whatever he's doing is good. So, of course, that's hard to swallow sometimes for some people. But, you know, we put ourselves in our own slave mentality and then we say, I could only do so much. I could only be this great. I could only be this persuasive. You know, we all put ourselves in these little jars of how high we can, 
you know, jump, so to speak. And then we don't allow ourselves to be better. I'm not talking about being completely like narcissistic and just thinks you're like the best here. I'm talking about a healthy, religious, spiritual sense of self is literally about God. It's not about you. So this is what we have to remember. I also think that when you're tapping into the element of God within you, there is no place for narcissism because you will fail and you will mess up because you're taking risks that are possibly above your pay grade at times when you know you can fail and you're not perfect. Here's the honest truth in life. When you're facing difficult times, that's when you see your best self come forward or that's when you see yourself fail miserably. I think most people actually do step up. You know, it might be a lesson in life and they have to weather the storm, so to speak, which is difficult. But in general, I think that when people are like, I'm going to say whacked around a bit, they become their best self because they have to step out of the zone of me, me, me and say, okay, there must be a bigger picture here. I've got to find it. And either they reach out for help in that way, which everyone should reach out for help when you need, or you get, you know, a mashpia, you get an advisor to help you, or you turn to spirituality and realize that God is great. And so you can align yourself with all that. But I know that when my father passed away, Rivka Margaret she runs Mayanote, and she said, Hindle, come on, when are you going to teach for us? And I was very intimidated always to teach for her. And she asked me for quite a while, for many years. And she has post-college age students that are coming on a year, you know, I don't want to call it a year abroad, but it's a year in between their BA and their master's, or if they're middle of a job and they need to take a break, they come. And I was terrified. These girls all graduated. Some of them have master's and my, my learning career ended early. And, but, you know, I have a lot of Torah in me, but I don't have certain things that they grew up on campus. And I was very intimidated. And she said, come on, you could do it. And I really thought of my father and his, you know, mantra of it's not about you. And it came with like the <laughs> wagging finger. And I was I like, love oh, it. Ah, I hear it. I hear it. Fine. Rivka Marga, I'll go in. And I think I was horrible that first class. I had a bunch of pages and I was reading, you know, off all my pages, but it was the coolest experience ever. There was like 34 girls in the room. I was loving the adrenaline. I was loving their age rush. I got all dressed up and dolled out, got a babysitter, went in and I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this again. So, you know, it's right. been four years and I'm a much better teacher now. I could, of and course, your students I love you. And my students like me and I love my students. It's a wonderful thing to get pushed out of your comfort zone and get away from the fears that hold us back. When you came into the classroom the first time, did you feel like you were tapping into strengths that you had or something I, that was- like I can't funny? even believe that you're asking this. This is amazing. When Why? I in there, I said to them, I didn't want to bring up my father because I knew I would cry. They don't know me. I can't cry on the first class. Trust me, I've cried every class since. But I walked in there and I talked about my aunt, Rachelea Schusterman. And I said to them, I had an aunt. She was 36 years old when she passed away with 11 children. Wow. And she was known as a teacher. She was a shlucha, but she was also a teacher. She was an incredible piano player. And she gave her life for her students. And I said, till this day, I know 24-year-old girls that are named for Rachelea Schusterman. That's wow. how much their mothers years later got married, had babies. And there are girls, tons of, I mean, there are Rachelea's every age. I know Rachelea that's 10 years old because the mom wanted to name her Rachelea for their wonderful teacher that they had years ago. And I wow. said, I walked in, I said, I'm terrified to be here. But if I can emulate a tiny bit and aspire to my aunt Rachelea, then I'm here. I'm here for whatever I can give you today. And it was great. Wow. Yeah. So beautiful. I know. Also tapping into the strength that your father gave you to make it not about you. Yes. So I didn't, I didn't want to say that because I know I'd be like hysterical. <laughs> got to reserve that for the students that already know you well enough not to like, oh my God, that girl is such a drama queen. I am out. You know, so I didn't go there. Something about connecting to people after they've passed when we connect to them, like outside of their body's limitations, outside of the bounds of their physical life, I feel like in connecting to them, sometimes we connect to that infinity within us because we connect to that boundlessness and limitlessness that's within us too. Yes. I actually just gave a Zoom this week because a really great friend of our family passed away. And I talked about that because that's what the Rebbe said in his Shloshim for his wife, Rebbe Tzanchai Mushka. When someone passes away, there are 600,000 sparks based off the root soul of Jacob, based off the 600,000 you know, root souls that came from him at Sinai. So when we say met you at Sinai, we really all were at Sinai. So when someone passes away, we're so connected because their spark is part of our spark. 
So we're all in this together. So when you actually activate that part of their soul or something that they gave you, you're that much more connected, even more, you know, when they pass away than in, in the lifetime. So you, you really feel it quite nicely. Yeah, you do. Yeah, I'm glad I didn't go for that one in the classroom. <laughs> this is the whole idea of, you know, being carried by the higher power. You know, Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson, he gives a great example. I mean, he gives so many great examples. He's a, a really another great teacher that I follow. But he tells the story of a man who was a businessman and he was going traveling. And, you know, he takes his suitcases and his uh, computers and he's got his bags and he goes on this train and that plane and he's traveling. And he comes back after three months of a business trip. You know, you ask him, like, how was your trip? And he goes through all the details of it and the hardships and, you know, what it went on. And there's so many details that surround all of his experiences and how he needed to go on business. But then he, you can say the story in a different way. What if that man were traveling and he was taking a baby? Would you ask that baby, hey, how was your trip? All the baby's going to answer is, it was wonderful. I was with my dad. And so, like, if we can look through life is, you know, dad's really carrying, he's carrying the briefcase. He's carrying the suitcases. He's going through all the drama for us. We're just kind of following along and he's carrying us this whole time. So we're never really lost. We don't need to, you know, put our whole mind, like I'm not running this world. That's for God to do. Thank you very much. That's on you. I can only do my little part. So that's also like a gift to know, you know, you're special, but you're not that special. This is not all on you. Like you, you could have confidence and, you know, you could be scared about different things that you need to accomplish in life. But just remember, like, you're not the man in charge. And I find that also very helpful. Like I could only do so much and I'm trying. So if I'm trying, then I could say I'm trying. So you're saying that you're responsible to show up fully and to try, but you're not responsible for the outcome. Yes, you definitely have to give your full. But I think it's also a, a mindset that you have to know that God is running the world. And if I'm consciously putting myself in the place that I am, not because, not because I want my face on a billboard or I want to fill up my bank account, if I'm consciously in the right frame of mind, and I really mean this seriously, and that it's a spiritual cause that I'm working towards. And I'm not taking away anyone that's just in business making money. If you're making money, it's because you're helping other people with your tzedakah. Anything that you're doing in life should be promoting godliness and goodness in this world. That is our spiritual quest. So yeah, for all that, you better have confidence because you need to do your part. It's really putting myself consciously in a place to be aware that Hashem is the one carrying me now. And I will do as much as I can. Not half copping out because it's on God. No, don't blame him. Step up. If you're doing your best, then that's it you can do. So beautiful. So I'll give you another idea that Tanya talks about this like whole idea of thought management. We all talk to ourselves all the time and tell ourselves these different narratives of what I am, what I'm meant to be, what other people think that I should be. And like, we really create this whole person and really it's just, we have to realign ourselves. Like we talked about that little lifeline of like to the infinite light. And when I talk about that infinite light, I don't want anyone to think that that's out of reach for us. Like, oh, well, that's God and that's all the way up there. And I'm not tapped into that. You can tap in through a medium as well. And just back to that Pasuk again of Bitru Hashem Adeyad, when we talk about Adeyad, Adeyad is also known as foundation, Yesod. So the Zohar says that Adeyad is a name of a place, which is the infinite light, the Orient Sof, but it's also Yesod a foundation. So we all have a foundation within us that is Tzaddik level. So when the, when, the, when the Tanya gives us this tzaddik level, benoni level, I know we say halavaya benoni, even for one minute of the day, we still all have tzaddik because we have all the levels of tzaddik, Russia, and benoni inside of us. So we all have this potential of tzaddik level. So if I'm not feeling like I'm tapping into that tzaddik level, I can then outsource and go to the yesod, which is a foundation, which is anyone that is foundational in your life. So that's your mashbia, that's a tzaddik. You know, that's why people all congregate when they go to uh, like the Rebbe, they would all go to 770, thousands and thousands of people that that's where the holiness was coming from. They would feel already that they were getting strength just from being in the ambiance of a tzaddik. There's a Moshe in every generation and, and everyone has to find their tzaddik, whether it's through the books or through someone that's giving it to you in a classroom, go get there. It is a gift. When we're talking about like, we're being so hard on ourselves you know, let me try and be a Benoni even for a second. You know, I don't want to say the average man, but like the middleman, 
We all want to be our best self. And very often we're only in the middle of getting there. But that's this whole idea of telling ourselves, if I could even be better for one of those seconds of the day, then I'm already better than I was a minute ago. And also if we're being recreated every moment, because we know that God gives breath into everything and he's constantly recreating creations. And so if everything is being recreated and I'm being recreated, then why wouldn't I have confidence from this minute? I am now a different person. So we can tell ourselves and change the narrative in our minds and tell ourselves through this thought management, like think differently. Oh, you know what? I am pretty fabulous. And you know what? I can do this. And this is what we have to tell ourselves. Like even for a moment, if I can, if I'm being recreated in every new moment and then like, oh, moment passes again, I could retell myself this story. I could go into every hour of every day, even the most difficult times saying, I got a new chance. Here I am. I woke up in the morning. I'm alive again. Boom. You're at it again. I think the confidence comes from all these, you know, we are given constant tips throughout the Torah of how to be our best self. And if I can know that I can access it, then yeah, I'm pretty damn confident, you know? Right. So yeah, you might have to mute that. No way. <laughs> Human and holy. <laughs> I have a question. Someone is dealing with any situation, either a very large life struggle or a situation where they want to step into their greatness, but they feel so limited by thoughts of self-worth, not being enough, not being capable, et cetera. And they want to tap into this soul, they're in a shama within them that's connected to the infinite light that has that limitless potential that's not about them. How would you recommend practically, and you can use an example from your own life, I feel like that would be the most beautiful if you have one, where someone can really connect to that infinite place, the adayad, and kind of crawl out of the self in order to achieve our soul's full potential? You know, I think we get the most from giving. Anyone down on their luck, you know, they tell those people like, go and volunteer in a hospital, go offer to substitute a kid's class. So, you know, the joy of the young children, innocent children, you know, brings joy to your life. If you've had five jobs and you're still not successful, then it's time to reach out to the tzaddik within and say, I, I know that I was born with great potential because God put me here. And if God put me here, there's something that I'm giving that no one else in the world is giving. Go get a therapist, go get some help, go get some real help and have someone work it out with you and say, well, not what are you good at, but who are you? What are you? And if you can tap into your best part of your personality self where you're great at, then yeah, that's much easier to get out of bed if you know that you're, you have self-worth. So I, I really think talking to a, a good friend that's without judgment or speaking really to a therapist, because anyone, if you're, if you're really low like that, I mean, you, you do need help. People need help. It should be really validated and taken seriously. People go to um, guidance counselors. People go to career counselors. Why shouldn't you go to your counselor and figure out what's the best part of you? Where can you be the most useful and helpful that you see yourself as fabulously important? So getting to know your strengths as a way of letting the negative self-talk fall away? That's exactly it. It's perspective. It's called positive reinterpretation. You really need to look at whatever you're looking at with a different view. And if you can spin it on its head, and Tanya gives this to you all the time, like flip it around, look at it differently. And if you can move your me to the side and let God fill that space, then it becomes about me circling God and not God circling me. Oh, and then nice. I'm a lot smaller. And, you know, when we say you should have shiftless, it's not that you should. Now I'm not remembering the regular word that people use. Lowliness. Lowliness. So lowliness is a nice word, but even better is just making yourself smaller. If you can make yourself smaller in your life, and I'm not talking squashing or becoming like a shmata, but making yourself smaller, that there is a larger picture that you don't need to fill. That's not your goal. You're just your smaller self. And what can you do? And then it's like, oh, well, if I don't have to fill all that, then I can do just this. And then if I could do right. this, and that was nice, mm -hmm. and I could be bigger and more and more and more. Oh, wow. I like that a lot. Oh, good. Yeah. No, because that kind of flips it on its head. This point of making it less about you in order to achieve so much more. If it's less about me, then I can actually achieve so much more because I'm connected to something so much bigger than myself and I'm not limited by my own limitations. Right. 
you also acknowledge there that like it doesn't have to be so big, you know. Sometimes we say yes. we have to change the world because yes, that's all. Yeah. Something small that's bigger than myself, something small outside my comfort zone, something small that I thought I couldn't do. I'm going to tap into my limitless potential. But I love that you're pointing out that it's not always like, you can do hard things. You can get on a stage in front of 10,000 people. No, you can do hard things. You can get up in front of a classroom when you thought you weren't yeah. good enough, even though yeah. you're a born teacher and sharer, right? right? It's, that's exactly it. So you know the line, if you think you can or you think you can't, both of those are right. Because you make it whatever you're going to do. If I think I can't, then I'm really not going to do it. If I think I can't, right. I'm really going to do it. Right. It, it boils down to what you choose. Yeah. What needs to be focused on a lot is the fact that it's about Hashem. And we need to make him more available to us consciously throughout the day. And I say us, but I, I'm talking to me. But I know that like I am my best self when I know that it's about him. And really, that's why he put me here. So that's the part that doesn't usually come till way, way, way later. But if I remember that, like when I wake up in the morning, that he created the world so that he can be here with me revealing him. And if I'm revealing him, then I am fine. I'm doing well. That's going to help me be my best self. And it's really spreading godliness. I mean, that's really what the whole idea of creation was all about. And also knowing that in whatever situation God gave you, that's where godliness is. So don't think like, oh, well, if, you know, she wasn't dished that out or that, that only happened to me, what would she do if that happened to her? That's so irrelevant. It's like whatever happened to me was specifically for me and specifically for me to live my best self. So again, if I have that faith in God that everything he's doing is good, then what he gives me is good. Then I have to know that I am that good to receive what he gave me. I'll tell you an interesting, this might be too sappy, but this might be a little heavy, but Let's do it. Um, I know, you know, my daughter Shula passed away. So she was three years old and she was run over and it was pretty horrible. It took me, it's been 11 years, but it's, it's been a long journey, but I would say the first three years were pretty hellish. Ironically, I gave birth twice, so I had so much joy in my life simultaneously. But Reva Lezer says you can live with joy on one side of your heart and sadness on the other simultaneously, and you can. I mean, I really know how much joy I had in those years that I didn't think I'd survive, and yet there was so much joy. But during that time, just so I could get out of the house and think of like that I was still human, I took a writing course. So this was probably, I would say, two years post-Shula. So I go to this class. It was not a religious class. And God was not topic of conversation over there. I could tell you that. Although some people were religious, but some people really weren't. And they asked, it was like, you have 20 minutes, write a, you know, a composition, a page and a half about of a moment in time. And so I wrote about this moment of Shula passing away. And I talked about how I had three boys and I had, then I had this girl and she was my first girl and she was named for my mother who died when I was two and a half. So it's really intense, you know, like most people can't stomach that. And she was a joy. And I always knew she was like different than my other children. And I'm not one to choose who I love more. It was just a different connection with her than I had with the other ones. And I love them all the same. And when she passed away and I had to go, you know, outside to where the accident was, I know this sounds crazy, but it was a spiritual moment for me. And my mind went to this, if Hashem did this, and I can't go back to being in the fetus position of a baby and restarting my entire life because I can't face what's going on in front of me, then I have to know that this is good and this is God. And I promise you, I'm no tzaddik. I should say tzaddikus. And I remember there, and I had the clarity of mind not to freak out, to calm another child that was there witnessing it. And to tell Shula that she was perfect. And I gave her all my words of, you know, and then I was able to say Shema and tell her that she can go to her source. And I tell you, if I didn't have an iota of self-confidence in my faith in God, I think I would have died. I mean, I, I'm just going to say it point blank like that. And it was a godly experience because I remember saying, if I can't go back into this fetus position, then Hashem chose me. And I really wow. said it like, and I'm not, you know, I, I'd like to be holier, but I'm not super sadika. 
And I just knew that Hashem chose Yessi and I, that we were lucky enough to have her. And I told her all this. I told her before she passed away. I said, we were lucky to have you. You were special, obviously, to be in our family. And we'll have to figure the rest out. And they said, you know, go in peace. So I read this to the group. And I promise you, they laughed at me. And I was very serious while I was reading this. It was very intense for me. And it was still a very intense time in my life. I looked at them and I was flabbergasted. And they said, we don't believe you. So why don't you rewrite how it really went? And I was like, guys, I am really serious here. And by the way, it was a six-month course. So they already knew me. And everything that I was writing, of course, was all about Chula at that time. So I was probably four months into this course. And they really, they couldn't even fathom that God was so strong in my life that I could understand that I had faith in him that this was good. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. I didn't think I signed up for it. Then, you know, you do a little more work on yourself. And I'm confident the whole time that I am special enough that Shula was given to me. And I wouldn't have traded that for anything. I didn't choose to be here. He put me here. So this is part of my mission. And of course, we have to remind ourselves of our mission every now and then. We're not just always up to par with where God wants us. But yeah, daily reminders. It's such a gorgeous example. I feel like it drives that message home so powerfully that in that moment, they didn't believe you because maybe they haven't experienced that connection to infinity, the connection to Adayad. That like in that moment when every bit of logic inside of you would have said otherwise, you were able to like completely transcend your experience and tap into like Hashem in that moment. And I'm sure Literally. that, you know, the years of suffering afterwards, you may not have, you, you might not always have that clarity, but that moment right. of clarity. And, and I write about that because for me, it was also a writing piece. So it was like a challenge and I love writing and like, how well can I write this piece? So I wrote about like, there was no sound in the ear. There was no weather. Like, it, and it was, it was probably like a hundred degrees that day. It was like October in Israel. It was literally like for sure 90 to hundred degrees, but there was no weather. There was no sound. There was literally only godliness. And it, it's crazy, but I still have that feeling. I could rewrite that anytime because it was that real for me. And it's actually, it's like, you know, I merited to have that feeling of pure goodness of God coming down because, you know, we don't always get that. We should, we should always feel that it shouldn't have to take a tragedy to put you in that place. But often we need to work a little harder when we're facing challenges. Would you say that that clarity carried you after the moment or it was like something that you just like would look back at to get strength from? The journey after a death is, is long. So there was definitely many ups and downs, but I think that growing up the way I grew up in a home that was infused with Chabad Hasidus, love of Hashem, and just knowing that there is a bigger picture that's not just me, that carried me through, you know, because yeah, sure, there were days that I didn't want to get out of bed, but I had children, so I would get out of bed, get them out, crawling back into bed, and then put on little lipstick before they came home. I mean, I didn't want to carry all that heaviness with them all the time. You know, I really wanted, I knew my mission was to make my family healthy after this. I didn't want anyone to have to suffer, but you know, the ups and downs, I made my family suffer, my siblings, I would like write and write and write and pour my heart out. It was probably impossible to read, but I knew with confidence, I tell you that we were extra special, that this was given to us, that Chula was given to us, that we were chosen for this task of, of carrying her. And also with the whole aftermath of, of a death and how you lead life. Look, we opened up a library in her merit. You know, we just had eight years and 4,000 books, tons of kids hang out there all the time. And I know that every book read is in merit of Shula and she doesn't have life, but her soul is being revived every time someone does something good in her, you know, in her memory and that's spiritual. So, yeah, I think this whole idea of godliness definitely carries me through with everything. I mean, it's it's part of my personality also. I'm not a, a very dark person. I know I talk about death and uh, the afterlife and all that, but I'm a very positive person. I'm a happy person. I like to laugh a lot. And so I knew that this is a confidence that I was given for sure. And that that really carried me through for so many things. You know, I think people like me, people want to hang out with me. So why am I not awesome? You know what I mean? So then you have to figure out, okay. <laughs> you know, then you have to figure out, well, what are you doing with that awesomeness? You don't just get to be awesome. You got to work it. By the way, you are awesome. Oh, <laughs> you are so awesome. 
No, but that's, that's part of the fun. That's part of the, see, that's part of the joy in life. If you're really smart and you're really talented and you get to do many things that you want to do, that's your fun. That's your awesome. And people tap into that. That's a great energy. Whatever, whatever energy you're giving off, people get that from you. And that's oozing out of your confidence. So if you don't have that, you're a little less fun to be around. I love the dichotomy of which is that at once it's not about you and then making it not about you. You're able to say that you're awesome because you're <laughs> awesome. No, but I love it because I think that it's like I'm awesome because yeah, God gave it to me. So it's not it's yeah, something it's not about me. me. It's not about me. I didn't do anything to earn it the same way, you know, you didn't do anything to initiate whatever life circumstances God gave you, no matter how painful they were, but it's inherent in your soul and in your soul's mission. So that joy and then also that tragedy, that your strengths and also your challenging life circumstances. It's beautiful. I'm feeling like I'm coming off very egotistical here. See, it's all about me again. (laughs) Talk about all about me. But I need to give credit because I think that it's our parents, it's our teachers, it's our outside surroundings that give us that confidence. Yes, we learn Torah and we get that, that, you know, the world was created for me. But like the Rebbe spins that and he says, even confusion and doubt was also created for me. I can find my best me in that too. And I think that like, I try and give that to my kids as well. My father, all the Schwartz kids, we laugh at ourselves. Like I'm one of 12. You know, we were brought up in LA in a Chabad house. So you're born with like, the life is not about you. It's about everyone coming through the Chabad house. So that's the way it goes. You know it well. But my father was able to give us, and I think it's a healthy self-confidence that I hope I'm giving to my children. I mean, they laugh because they know that I just think they're wonderful. They're perfect. I think they're geniuses and they're gorgeous. And they're like, mom, I'm not a genius. I just got 80. Don't tell me I'm a genius. I'm like, yes, but you know, if you put your head to it and they're like, no, no, don't even go there. You know, there's healthy and then there's unhealthy. But, you know, imagine if we just saw the beauty and the potential in everyone we met. I know when someone's coming over to me with like an open heart and loving, and I'm like, yeah, I like you. Sure. Cause you're loving me right now. And then I'm seeing all the beauty in that person. So imagine if we just gave ourselves that beauty every time we saw someone like I'm loving you as a friend because I see all that beauty inside of you. So we can peel away the layers a lot faster. We should go around asking like, you know, quietly, what's her inner beauty. And then if you find it, you can tap into that. And I know as a teacher, there are some students that challenge you more than others And so you're like, okay, where's their beauty? Where's the beauty? Because she's really pushing me away now. And then you can tap into that. And that's where you see, ah, so there's that confidence. And then that person has it. You can bring it out or you can crush it. Totally. I think that the more you're tapped into that beauty and that limitless potential within yourself, the more you're able to recognize it in others. And that's like so, that's weaved into so many different sections of Chassidus that everything we see is a mirror image of how we view ourselves. So having that confidence in the godliness within ourselves will translate into a seeking and finding the godliness within others. Literally. Yes, that's exactly it. That's where that self-confidence comes from. It really just comes from knowing that Hashem has your best interest in mind. Tell me somewhere in your life where you have taken the leap, believed that it wasn't about you, it was something bigger than yourself, and then You got up there, whatever it was, a hard moment, a difficult conversation, a classroom, and just to go way back to the story of your kids at the Seder, your voice cracked. No one liked it. It wasn't about you, but you didn't succeed. Give me a story of that if you have one and tell me how you got yourself. You're asking for a failure. Where's your failure? Oh, yeah. Where's your failure? Because I think that I want to hear the failure because we're so confident. I, I want to see the failure and I want to see how you how you talk yourself through it. What do you okay. what what do you do next? I got okay. it. I got this. Let's do it. Awesome. So oh, good. You got I this. I went to teach and I won't say what school because I've taught in three schools and a few uh home groups of of mamas. Let's just say that, you know, I still, by the way, walk into a classroom nervous. I prepare hours and hours. I'm a little bit shaky when I start. I want to be good. I want to give over. I prepare a ton of information. I want to spit it all out. I want everyone to get it as much as I know it. And I'm worried that I'm not going to convey it clearly. I try my hardest. And I walk into one classroom and I was teaching about finding your soulmate. And I started off with how it says that, you know, when we're just souls in heaven, we get separated when we come down into this world and our entire life is looking for that other half of our soul. And that fulfills a certain part of us as completion of of, of a human being. And the girls hit the roof 
And some of them were like, I'm sorry, but that's not going to work for me. What if my bashert is my female other half? And I was like, well, in this classroom, I'm going to be teaching about male-female relationships because that's your soulmate. And then we got off topic because a few of them were quite upset. You know, they have family members that are gay. They might have been, I don't know. And it went down that direction. Now, as a new teacher, I was probably three years in at that point. I should have known to say, you know, we're going to take up this conversation later. I'm going to continue with my class. Well, this class got out of hand fast. And after an hour, it was done. And some girls were really upset. And I called up, you know, the head teacher. And I'm like, you're going to have to do some damage control. This went down bad. I was devastated. I couldn't understand that I put so many years into teaching. And and it was so... I really, I give my heart and soul and it wasn't accepted. Well, I would say only by four girls. Some of the girls are tapping me on the back and saying, you did okay. You did okay. No, I didn't do okay. If I pissed off four girls, this is not good. And I spent hours and hours on the phone trying to rectify that. I tried, I called my brother. I called a coach and I said, tell me more. What don't I know about homosexual relationships? I obviously need to have more compassion, empathy, and I didn't have it when I was giving some of my answers. And so I realized I don't know enough. I know what the Torah says, but what about on a very human level, how to answer? And so that was a major failure. And it really knocked my confidence down many, many pegs till today, because now I'm very careful and I'm very conscious of how to talk and how to be careful with what I say and how to really have information backing me up when I say something. And I think twice, you know, it's, it's 2020 and a lot of people are living off of campuses and and living a different reality and the billboards and the shows show something different than what God says. I've been living in Israel for a very long time. So it was an awareness that like, yeah, I think I'm living in a bubble and I might have to know more about what's going on out there. And that was humbling for me. Okay. Wow. So many things. (laughs) First of all, so challenging as a teacher. You obviously did not expect that when you came into the classroom, especially four years in. Obviously there's nerves, but then there's also a a certain comfort level, which is that you've done this before. So you don't expect that that type of firework to explode. Yeah. I assume you had to walk back into that classroom. What gave you the strength to come back in? Oh, again, I really knew it wasn't about me. I promise you. Okay. I knew that I had nice. to walk right back in there and say there is a much bigger picture. First of all, I didn't want to lose the girls that already like me and hear what I have to share Torah with them. It's life-giving and it's not my Torah, it's Hashem's Torah. And if I can give that and they're receiving it, then I have a job to do. I like that you said it wasn't about me. Like I still had a responsibility to teach Torah, so I came back in the classroom. Yeah. There really we go. Shaky, really with a lot of pep talk from my husband before I had to go back in there. Sure. But I did it. Yeah. Okay, Hindle, closing off, some practical tips for me and for anyone listening on how to incorporate this level of confidence in our connection to God as a way of getting us to do hard things and fulfill our mission in this world. I think I'm going to tell you what my father always told me. You have to stay connected. You have to give yourself an outlet. You know, some people say you have to learn Torah every day. Let's say moms with babies every day might be difficult. Well, what about once a week? Or what about just davening for five minutes before you start your day? You know, give it something so that you're connecting to your godliness and you're becoming more conscious of Hashem in your life. And I'm not talking about just non-religious people. I'm talking about, I'm talking dafka to religious people here also. Anyone, if, even if you're living with God and you're, you know, you're a very conscious person or a very spiritual person, what about bringing God to the next level? Like, what are you doing for him? You know, let's bring that into our mitzvah level, our mitzvah quotient. I think very practically is really just tapping into our sources of what, you know, there's so much online that we can learn from. There's so much that we can actually do. If you don't want to learn the Torah, you don't have the time for that. And you find that you're much more of a people person. So go out there, go help, go help somebody, you know, go help your neighbor, go volunteer, you know, just, just be available for the godliness, for that pipeline to be always there for you to tap into. I want to have to like become more aware of the pipeline and then also make the vessel for the pipeline to be expressed. Is that what you're saying? Yes. But also for the pipeline specifically, that just means like realigning myself in like a pep talk and saying, okay, if I need to go back to the source, you know, the same person that I was born at as a baby, I need to tell myself I am that perfect person. And then that's going back to the closer dot that I'm born as, right? Because I'm just a little dot. 
before I move out into a larger, wider open space. So if I'm going back to that dot, that dot is where that rope ends. So that's that faith and confidence right there. And then, you know, sometimes we lose it when we spread ourselves out. So go back to the source, realign. But Mm. if you want to get back to realigning, you're not sure how, because you've spread yourself out already and you've become, you know, so wonderful or big or famous or rich, and you're busy with life and other fields in order to get there is like, go back to your humbling place. What can I do? Let me talk to God. Let me be more conscious. Let me try and manage my thoughts more. I think we all know really where we're falling short. We just have to tell ourselves our honest story about who we really are and get back to the source. Right. Who we really are and then what we can become. Yeah. We have to ask ourselves, so who am I? If we can keep asking ourselves, who am I as a godly person? You know, I think that will help us get there. Help guide us. Yes. Beautiful. So many kernels of wisdom to take away. I'm really excited. Oh, beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. I'm going to miss Tanya. I miss you on this side of you. Oh, I know. I miss Israel. Nothing in the world like it. Nothing. I can only hope that this episode inspires you in some small or big way to step into your soul's greatness, even just a bit. We were all put here for a reason with an important mission. And it would be a crime to let your fears or limitations stop you from fully embodying your soul's abilities and accomplishing what only you can accomplish in this world. Maybe you can take one step towards something you sense you might be needed for, but you're too afraid to try. This type of God-given confidence is not about becoming a more inflated person. It's about believing in the impact you could have on this world. So here's to less fear, less limiting beliefs, and more trust in our soul's potential. If Hindle's words inspired you in any way to push yourself past your limit, then I'd love to hear from you and I'd love to share your win with Hindle. So feel free to reach out on Instagram at the Tanya Project or via email at humanandholy at gmail.com. If you enjoyed this episode and want to be alerted when a new episode comes out, hit the subscribe button. And if you like the show and want more people to find what we're doing or you just want to do something nice, then please take a quick second and leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thank you so much and I hope you have a wonderful day.